0: Kia ora and welcome to my daily podcast. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is a podcast I do for paying subscribers usually via my Substack, which is called the Kaka. I look at uh, Aotearoa's political economy with a particular focus on housing, climate, and poverty. Taxes are a big reason why we have joint housing. And poverty crises. Um, New Zealand is the only country in the developed world that does not have a capital gains tax. It's also rare in that uh, savings in bank accounts and in particular KiwiSaver and other pension funds are taxed um, just as if there were any other income. Now, this is unusual in the rest of the world. Uh, people usually get some sort of tax break to encourage them to invest in managed funds and that money is then often uninvested into businesses. And it's one of the reasons why Aotearoa has such a low uh, uh, share of GDP which is invested in business technology and in infrastructure. Uh, Also, we have a relatively low um, income tax rate and... um, That means that our share of investment in infrastructure, skills, R&D, which would increase productivity, is relatively low. In effect, we have structured our economy around the uh, preferred tax status of investment in residential land. Now, why am I talking about this? Because yesterday, uh, Prime Minister Chris Hipkins uh, issued a statement from Stockholm where he is uh, representing New Zealand at the NATO conference and was supposed to meet with Vladimir Zelensky last night. Unfortunately, um, Mr Zelensky um, uh, spent more time speaking with Joe Biden and ran out of time to speak to Chris Hipkins. So Chris Hipkins sent a statement from Stockholm, about his view on capital gains taxes and wealth taxes. Why? Because uh, during February and March of this year, Grant Robertson, the Finance Minister, no doubt in concert with uh, Chris Hipkins and other cabinet members, asked Treasury to do research on a potential wealth tax switch. And the idea is 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 that uh, if you're an individual with net assets worth more than five million dollars per person or ten million dollars for a couple, you would pay a wealth tax of one point five percent and that would raise at least at least in the first year or so around three point eight billion dollars. The idea was that money would be then used to uh, create a ten thousand dollars tax-free threshold so all of the money earned up to $10,000 would be tax-free and that meant that all taxpayers would uh, get that benefit and it would be focused on those at the bottom of the income spectrum. It's in effect a very clear transfer of wealth from the top 0.5%, about 25,000 people would have been affected by this tax, to the other 99.5%. This was um, considered by Cabinet, and in early April, um, Chris Hipkins decided that Labor would not go ahead with it. In the statement uh, put out yesterday, he said that um, uh, taxpayers were under pressure, and he wanted to keep things uh, simple, and that um, people wanted security and Um, um, A certainty and that experimenting with a wealth tax was um, a bad idea, Uh, and um, so he decided not to do a wealth tax or a capital gains tax in that budget process. And to shut the debate down, he has said in this statement that he will not introduce a capital gains tax or a wealth tax while he is Prime Minister. So in effect, if Labour uh, win the uh, election on October the 14th and get a third term, that's another three years. And if uh, uh, Chris Hipkins stayed as Labour Prime Minister for that time, which you'd have to expect if he won the election, then that's another three years without a capital gains tax or a wealth tax. Now, you could argue, um, well, maybe Labour gets a fourth ter- fourth term which is quite unusual. We've never had one of those, a fourth-term uh, government under MMP. And it's quite likely then you'd have a change of government. Um, now, how long that government last lasted? Well, um, so far, um, our governments tend to last nine years under MMP, but um, at least six years. So uh, we know now that uh, we will not have a capital gains or wealth tax within the next 10 years, and you'd have to think that's more like 20 years by the time you got round to having the debate again. Um, now, you may um, say, well, hang on a minute, uh, there are some political parties who are proposing a wealth tax, and that includes the Green Party, uh, the Te Pāti Māori in some form, and also the Opportunities Party, and that is true. And combined, they currently have about 15 to 16 percentage points of the vote. The trouble for them now is that now that Chris Hipkins has comprehensively, for all time, ruled out, or at least his time, ruled out a capital gains wealth tax, that means that effectively the debate is over. In fact, uh, he he made this very clear in his statement where he used the phrase, uh, I will not have a capital gains tax um, while I'm the leader, end of story. That's the quote, end of story. So the story has ended. Uh, the only way that the outlook changes, at least, at least in the 10 to 20 years, is if those three parties proposing a wealth tax uh, somehow get more than 50% of the vote, and that would mean a change in the next 94 days from having 15% to 50%, which I think is very unlikely. And... Um, also, or a change in view by national and act, which you also have to say is very unlikely. So to, yesterday was a big day. It meant that this decade-long, at least, uh, debate we've been having about changing the structure of our economy from being a housing market with bits tacked on to focusing a lot more of our GDP on investing in infrastructure, research and development, business investment, changing the tax incentives so it makes sense to invest your savings in um, a pension fund or shares or your own business. Uh, That debate is now over for another decade or two. Now, the result of this um, heavy leaning on residential land investment leveraged by borrowing from banks, which which creates tax-free capital gains, The legacy of that has been very low productivity growth because we haven't invested much in technology or infrastructure that makes us all more productive. And uh, in the long run, that means real wages per hour worked are flatter than in other countries, and in particular Australia, which is the most relevant comparator here. And um, that is unlikely to change because the brutal truth of it is that the people who understand how New Zealand's uh, political economy works and the economy generally, and I talk here mostly about anyone in any position of authority or wealth, and we have to look straight to pretty much all the members of Parliament um, who have gone out of their way to buy property, um, multiple properties, rental properties. And one of the best examples is the current leader of the opposition, Christopher Luxon, who um, is clearly a talented business executive, uh, got to the top of uh, one of our largest internationally exposed companies uh, in New Zealand for various years and was financially uh, successful in that role. Um, He has promoted his ability to run the country based on his relative success as a business executive, you'd think that would mean that as a business executive who knows how business works and has uh, um, held the lever of business decisions to invest shareholders' capital in growing businesses, that he would do the same with his own personal money, that he would concentrate his investments on Uh, companies on building his own companies on investing in others and he has some money in managed funds and for a politician it's often quite difficult to um, invest money in particular companies you tend to get conflicted quite quickly but managed funds are the way these things are typically done Um, uh, um, Michael Wood (laughs) may well have um, benefited from advice like that But um, almost all of Christopher Luxon's personal savings are invested in residential land and rental properties because he, like everyone else, knows that's how you get the most bang for your buck. As a saver in New Zealand, you uh, invest in some form of residential land. You gear it up as much as possible so that any gains and equity are leveraged and then you wait for the tax free capital gains and once that um has grown to a certain level you can then re-leverage it up into more properties or you can downsize upsize use it as a pool uh for um investing in businesses or other things and in essence our economy is not only a housing market with bits tacked on but for most businesses now at least small to medium businesses the value of equity in residential land is a crucial component in the funding and running of these businesses. It's the reason that if they are able to borrow money from a bank, that they can. So um, it's crucial. And the numbers now are so large that it's very difficult to change, as Chris Hipkins has just discovered. So what, uh, what does this all mean? So if we don't have a capital gains or wealth tax, can we improve the economy? Not much. We know this is the core problem at the heart of it. It is the um, the main incentive which starves our economy of investment in R&D and infrastructure and business investment. It changes all the incentives for savers, for workers who may be considering building their own businesses or investing in other people's businesses. They know that the clear preference expressed in our tax system and in our political economy is to put more and more and more money into residential property, and then to defend those interests by ensuring that um, new consents for more uh, residential land or building of more houses on that land, which might somehow suppress rents, uh, are blocked. And that's one of the reasons um, it's very difficult for councils and governments to not only consent large numbers of new homes that might depress rents and prices, but also change the funding and the taxation and the debt levels of both government and councils to try to get that changed. In essence, the weight of the $1 trillion worth of residential land is bearing down on our political economy and has stopped us from moving. In a way, Chris Hipkins is uh, a victim of a Stockholm syndrome. Like most politicians uh, who argue that home ownership is a good thing and they're willing to support it, often with subsidies for first home buyers and the likes, once the um, key voting demographic, the median voter, around a 5 to 10% block in the middle, once they do own homes, they often vote for policies that block other people from owning homes and uh, grow the tax-free gains from their own homes. This is essentially jumping onto the ladder, uh, getting on the ladder, and then pulling the ladder up. That is our Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, So what happens now? What are the options? What do you do about it? Well, uh, if you think it's still a problem and of course a bunch of people don't think it's a problem, or they think it's a problem for other people, not for them, then um, either there has to be a miraculous change in the political environment and support for the various parties, uh, or you have to look after yourself. And um, and if you have the time to work on it, and after 10 or 20 years hope that things change enough that uh, it can go back that's okay. And for a lot of people who have the luxury of time, perhaps they already own a property, perhaps they're established in their careers, and uh, they believe they have enough um, financial resource to help their own children into properties, then that's okay, I suppose. Um, However, for those people who are renting now, and maybe they're having families and growing up as, um, as renters and who don't have the support of family or a lotto win or the ability to marry into that wealth, then that's a pretty tough situation. I report today uh, elsewhere in the email newsletter about the latest numbers on migration of New Zealand-born and uh, New Zealand-resident citizens from, a, from New Zealand to Australia. Uh, We're now at a one-decade high of people exiting the country to go and live in Australia, where wages are higher, where there is a capital gains tax, where the level of public and private investment in infrastructure and business and R&D is significantly higher than in New Zealand, where productivity and real wages are not only higher but growing faster, and where there are many more opportunities to have spare disposable income to save for deposits to build your own home. And now, since uh, the Enzac Day announcement by um, Anthony Albanese that New Zealanders can be full Australian citizens and not be discriminated against, um, that has seen a surge of um, New Zealanders leaving the country uh, without the hope to build their own lives and families with their own homes in New Zealand. And um, that number is accelerating and it's not just uh, New Zealand-born citizens. There are an awful lot of uh, recent arrivals to New Zealand who, once they have obtained residency, are now in a much uh, better position to bounce on into Australia. In fact, that was one of the main reasons stopping Australia from uh, um, giving New Zealand residents full uh, uh, credit as Australians is their, their concern that a loose migration policy in New Zealand would open a back door into Australia's system. Now, at the moment, of course, Australia has the same labour shortages that we do and has a very clear and open pro-migration strategy uh, to the point now where where rents in Australia are rising faster than here simply because they have even faster net migration growth than we do. We got figures out yesterday showing that um, net migration nearly 80,000 in the last year and that uh, we're headed for, by the end of the year, net migration of around about 90,000, 95,000 people. That's um, faster than we've ever seen, uh, over 2% um, in terms of population growth, um, and we have not invested in the infrastructure to deal with that. Um, That's very good for rents and um, certainly helps land prices and helps extend the runway of unsustainability for those people who want to grow their businesses um, with temporary workers and um, focus on the main game, which is more tax-free gains in uh, leveraged residential land prices. Um, now, you may say this is all a rather cynical and nihilistic view that doesn't give anyone any hope. Um, how are we supposed to get up in the morning without hope? And uh, I, I get that. Um I'm in a privileged position of having um, accidentally bought property in the early 1990s when it was affordable and um, being able to um, gain in a very um, unearned way a lot of tax-free capital gains. Uh, Along with plenty of hard work and um, some luck, I've managed to fashion myself a position where I can say these things and not get sacked uh, and have a um, financially secure and enjoyable work life. Um, That is a privilege and it's unusual. Um, Most people in this position either have have got there by building careers inside the um, real estate industrial complex as bank economists or inside government, and are therefore unable to say what they really think in public. Um, And even if they could, know that um, they'd be sacrificing their career prospects if they did. So I'm one of the uh, lucky people able to say this stuff in public and to keep pushing it, thanks in part to the privilege of uh, having support from subscribers. And um, we certainly welcome more subscribers to be able to do more of this work uh, I'm in it for the long haul. Um, I'm committed to New Zealand, at least as long as my children are. I have two daughters in their early 20s and their late 20s um, who face the same choices everyone else does. A, ask their parents for uh, deposits, and to be frank, one of my main um, uh, Our focus in my financial life and family life is making sure that we have the resources to provide deposits for our kids. Uh, Or if they choose to do what many thousands of other young New Zealanders have done, which is take their skills and ability to earn much higher wages in places with more opportunities, Sydney and Melbourne in particular, or Brisbane, um, we will follow them. Uh, because uh, we have also the opportunity to do that and have actually lived in Australia for five years. It's a lovely place. Uh, so um, that's our our plan for now, is to keep pushing away at this and uh, frank, frankly calling bullshit on the situation and uh, continuing to look, and this is something I am keen to do. I've spent a lot of time over the last 20 years um, describing the problems. I really now want to, uh, for my own uh, um levels of hopefulness (laughs) and to suppress any um, feelings of nihilism uh, or hopelessness to focus on solutions. So uh, I welcome support and ideas uh, from our listeners on solutions to um, this particular problem we have, which unfortunately I don't see changing in the next 10 to 20 years. Um, There is another uh, potential political force change that might make a difference. There's clearly you know, enough people who own homes. Remember, we've got home ownership rates of about 65% at the moment. But of course, the voting rates are higher for homeowners than for renters. We know there's probably about 800,000 uh, people who are old enough to vote and uh, are renters who don't vote. Um, that's down from around about a million about a decade ago uh, through lots of campaigning and through the work of the Electoral Commission to make it easier to vote. Uh, However, um, because of that large chunk of non-voting renters, the share of voters who own a home is more like 70% plus rather than the 60 to 65% uh, share of the adult population. So that means there is an inherent um, weight of self-interest uh, designed to keep the status quo, which is the more than 70% of voters who own in their homes and who are uh, focused on ensuring they can keep the access to the ladder open to their children. Uh, they're not so concerned about others um, and um, see the same political calculations that Chris Hipkins saw yesterday and which previous Labour Prime Ministers, Jacinda Ardern and Helen Clark, also saw. So um, we're in this position where the only ones who have any real influence on the situation are in effect the children of homeowners, who um, for their own reasons perhaps don't want to ask mum and dad for a deposit, um, perhaps don't want to have to marry into wealth to be able to afford a life and for their own families in New Zealand, uh, they can appeal to their parents. We I've talked about a hostage situation where politicians and people in public life feel um, trapped uh, as hostages to this real estate industrial complex in our political economy. Well, um, perhaps it's time for young people to tell their own parents that. Those parents are in a hostage situation too. That if they want to see their grandkids grow up in New Zealand and have to and avoid watching them grow up on WhatsApp or through occasional visits to Australia, then those people need to vote against their own individual uh, uh, self interests in the short term and vote to make New Zealand unexceptional in the world of taxation incentives. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was a slightly longer podcast for July the 13th. This one's opened up to all subscribers and anyone who happens to stumble across it. Normally, this is uh, the podcast and the full email is only for paying subscribers. But given I'm doing journalism in the public interest and often my paying subscribers say, yes, please distribute this. I want to share it and I want it to be heard by as many people as possible. This is one of those days, so I'd also like to thank paying subscribers for their support in, um, in financial terms, paying for a monthly subscription or an annual subscription, but also support in um, encouraging me to make as much of this public as possible. Ka kite anō.